Okay. Welcome everybody. Sorry for the uh, late cancellation last week. I ended up having to um, send money home with my husband and all that crazy stuff was happening on Wednesday. So I couldn't do it, but um, I'm back and we are, it's a very exciting week because we are on the last chapter of this long, hard, complicated section. So that is very exciting. Um, but before we actually get started, I want to um, uh, dedicate this class, um, Le'ilo Nishmas, um, someone very, 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 very special, uh, uh, Rav Steinsaltz, and his yard site is the 17th of Av, so Sunday night and Monday. And so Le'ilo Nishmas, Harav, Adin, Ben Avra, Maisha, Verifka, Leah, Evan Yisrael, Steinsaltz. I hope I got that right. <laughs> um, they're also, I don't know a ton of details, but they're doing a day of learning on their website, which is steinsaltcenter.org. And then they're launching an app, which is super cool that you're going to be able to like learn the daily Mishnayas or what, you know, it's going to have cool stuff that you're going to be able to learn. It's still like in the beta testing phase, but it's, it's really cool. And um I mean, he's a huge giant that has contributed so much to our um, ability to learn and understand, right? Like the translations, the, the, the Sfarim that he's put out, it's amazing. And he also, um, they also uh, just came out with a new Tanya translated by Rabbi Steinzalt. So I think that is super cool. Um, they send it to me. I'm getting it in the mail. Um, it's in Bozeman, so I'm not gonna be able to see it for a couple of weeks, but I can't wait to like talk about it when I get it. Cause I'm sure it's going to be amazing. So that is, um, so just have in mind while we're learning, um, okay. So chapter 25, I love like chapters that wrap up something for us that we've been really delving into for the last eight weeks. So this has been, and, and plus we had breaks in the middle. So we've been doing this section for a good three months. So I think it's really, um, um, it's exciting to be able to wrap this up and then we'll move on to the next section. So up until now, we've been in the process of explaining, the section started because we've been explaining how worshiping Hashem is very much within our reach, very much within our reach. Okay. So that means that we can all do it and it's accessible to all of us. Okay. So this is, we're concluding this discussion. We're going to hopefully wrap it up in a bow. Obviously every time, like there's always things that you're going to want to understand more and learn more. Every time I open up a Tanya and prepare, and I've given a lot of Tanya classes in my life, I always learn something new. And I'm always like, huh, I didn't know that. I'm like, how? I've read this a hundred times, but there's always something new. So we're going to wrap it up in, a, in it's going to feel like, I hope at the end of this class, my goal is that it should feel like you get it. You get why worshiping Hashem is very within our reach. That's the main question we want to understand. We went on a lot of tangents and we talked about a lot of different things to get us to this point. So if we don't understand fully all the tangents we went, went on because they are complicated, um, that's okay. What we want to understand by the end of this class is that worship is very within our reach. Okay. So that's our goal. So, um, so 
we know we know why. Why is worship within our reach? Because this is what we were lead, leading up to. At any given moment, you have the power to rid yourself of the delusional spirit and the unconsciousness inside of you. Okay? We have that power to do that at any given moment. How? How do we have that power? By recalling and awakening your love for Hashem, which we now know without a doubt is dormant in our heart, right? We spent a lot of time explaining and discussing how we have a dormant love, right? And what is this dormant love and how is it activated? So we now know without a doubt that we have this dormant love. How do we get rid of this delusional spirit inside of us? By awakening that dormant love. Okay. So till now, till chapter 18, remember the start of this section was chapter 18. Okay. One through 17, we were learning another method. What was the method? If you want to unmute or type in, you can. What was the other method we were focused on till chapter 18? The other method we were focused on was meditation, thinking, right? Using our brain to think about the greatness of Hashem. That's a very, very important, appropriate method, probably even more powerful than using our heart because our heart, remember, our heart lasts as long as we feel it, right? Um, our brain has more power than that. But the different, the, this, the, the, the drawback of meditation and using your thought to think about the greatness of Hashem to get you to um, be excited about your service takes a long time. It's hard work and it takes a long time, right? To get you in that right frame of mind. So the reason why we're even talking about um, an emotional kind of approach is because what if we need something ASAP? What if we need something in that moment to, to inspire us or to, to stop us from doing something that will separate us from Hashem? And the, and the way to do that instantly is to awaken that dormant love within our soul. Okay. And we will, we will rediscuss how we do that. How are we reawakening within our soul? Okay. So, um, we also have, we also talked about, um, so we, we also mentioned that in order for this to work, the dormant love has to also include awe. Remember we talked about that, that the dormant love that we're talking about also has to include reverence of Hashem because the reverence of Hashem is what's going to keep us from transgressing the 365 prohibitions. And the love of Hashem is what's going to motivate us to do the 248 positive commandments. And we did, remember, we did spend quite a bit of time discussing those two, those two things. So obviously, we remember that this love includes us. So the love inspires us to do the 248 positive commandments, right? And the prohibitions, um, basically, how does that work? We, um, after understanding 
what it means to be separate from Hashem. After understanding that this universe is a non-dual universe, which means everything is a manifestation of God. When we understand that, our soul will not be able to bear being separated from God for even one second. And that's what the motivation is to stop us from transgressing. Because no matter what the sin, and we're going to go into this a little bit deeper, but I'm just giving you like a a little preview. No matter what the sin, and no matter for how long you are sinning, you are going to be separate from Hashem. And when we understand what that really means, our soul is not willing to do that. And that's the thought that you need to think about that will kick on that dormant love. And when you are in an emergency situation and you're being tested and challenged, that is what's gonna keep you from transgressing and it can happen in an instant. Okay, any questions so far? So um, remember, how did we get here? How did we, how did we, how did we start off saying how our dormant love gets kicked on, right? We, we started this conversation by saying that if a Jew is offered to bow down to an idol or to lose his life, his dormant love will not allow him to bow down to that idol, okay? So even if it means giving up your physical life, you're, you will do that. Because, and it's with no law, it's, it's not logical, remember? And we proved that it's not logical because we said even people who aren't affiliated, who were non-observant, who weren't connected to Hashem and his Torah in their life, it is very, very common and likely that if they were presented with that situation, that they would choose to lose their life instead of risking severing their connection with Hashem. Okay. And the only reason why that happens is because of the divine soul that's within us. That's the only way that happens. Okay. So now Tanya is going to expand a little bit on the advice that we ended with last chapter. And what we ended last chapter was, is how to arouse the dormant love and resist the delusional spirit. So we know that we can arouse the dormant love. We know what we, we sort of know what we need to think about and what we need to do, but this is what we're, this is where we're going to expand our knowledge a little bit. How are we arousing this dormant love to prevent us from falling into the trap of our delusional spirit? And our delusional spirit is what convinces us that sinning is okay. It's not so bad, right? So if now this is one of my favorite um messages from this chapter i have a few this chapter is super powerful i'm very excited about it but one of my favorite messages from this chapter is if the dormant love can inspire you to give up your life for hashem you with me all the more so can it inspire you to break free from your desire, right? If our dormant love can convince us to give our life for Hashem, we definitely can give up a little bit of our comfort and our desire for Hashem, right? It's easier than dying. 
for Hashem. One second, give me one second. Um, basically, in short, if you're willing to die for Hashem, you should be willing to live for Hashem. Right? And it's that's so powerful. We are willing to give our life for Hashem. Why is it so hard to live for him? We'll die for him in a second. The problem is, is that we get stuck on living for him and our desires get in our way and our delusional spirit tells us it's not such a big deal, right? And we're going to talk about in detail what the delusional spirit tells us to convince us that it's not such a big deal. And then we end up severing from God. So we fast or die for Hashem, then live for him. Yes. Uh, Carrie, question. I'm going to try to remember because I wanted to listen to what you were saying yeah. at the same time, not forget yes, what yes, I wanted yes. to you ask you. Put it in, you can always type it in the chat box. But it, it, at the same time, I'm still not listening yeah. to what you're saying. And I really have to concentrate on what you're saying. Um, but I do remember, isn't it pretty much uh, your willpower, basically, instead of arousing your door your dormant love it's just your willpower uh that has to do with pretty much everything that you are doing in serving hashem sinning or transgressing or serving him it's just your willpower you just have to always be aware of it no right. yes um the willpower is a huge role it's what's behind the willpower because if you have the willpower if you don't have something driving you then why, why should I have this willpower? What's, what's keeping, what's keeping me strong to resist these temptations all the time. So yes, it's willpower, but this is what's driving your willpower. Because if you, if you know that if you transgress, this is what's happening, then you have motivation for your willpower. Of course, but isn't it in fact Hashem who is deciding for you since he knows what you're going to think and what you're going to do? Okay, that's the, he is the deciding that's, he is making you either sin or follow what he Okay, wants. that's a very, very age-old question of right um uh, of between free choice and God no, you know, being everything and everywhere, right? So we're not gonna get into into that this class because it's a huge conversation. But I will tell you that free choice and and a and a divinely inspired world are not contradictory. Just because God knows what you're going to choose doesn't mean he's choosing it for you. Okay. Um, there's a lot of a lot of discussion about this, and we will revisit it over the chapters. We're just not going to delve into it too much now or else we'll never we'll never get done what we need to in this chapter. But it is an important point and it is not con we can't we do we do have free choice just because God knows what you're going to end up choosing doesn't mean that we aren't choosing it of our own volition. Okay, so I'll leave you with that. And then you will we'll, we'll hopefully have a time to revisit it. Okay, so if we're willing to die for Hashem, we must be willing to live for him. So we, this is a lot of self-talk, right? So if you tell your soul, listen, if I was presented with a situation where it was either severing my connection with Hashem or my life, of course I would choose my life, right? So if I'm, so that we go, that I know. So what happens if I'm presented with um, a cheeseburger, right? Or severing my connection with Hashem? Why is that choice so, so hard, right? And 
for, and I'm just saying you can apply whatever I'm saying cheeseburger, but whatever in your life is your temptation, right? Everyone has one. So, um, so that is what we're saying. If you're willing to die for Hashem, be willing to give a little bit of your desires for him, a little bit of your comfort zone. That is what it takes to maintain our connection with Hashem. Okay. So, um, in a non-dual universe, there are only two realities, okay? Either, either you're aligned with Hashem, right? You're aligned with the fact that there is no place devoid of Him. Everything is Hashem, right? Or you're splintered from that idea and that reality, and you're in your own delusional bubble that you're separate from Hashem. Those are the two realities of the non-dual world. Either you're in it or you're out. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're in and you recognize that everything is a manifestation of Hashem or you're out. Or you, 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 you push that away and you think that you're a separate entity and you are, you know, just going about your life and Hashem's not part of it, right? So it's very, in this, in this, like broad topic, it's a very black and white, either you're in or you're out, right? Now, obviously we know that the living and the world is much more nuanced than that. And there are times when we're in and there are times when we're out and we're all mishkebabble together. But if you were to take away all the noise and if you were to take away all your excuses and all your justifications, you're either in or you're out right? That can change in any given moment, right? It doesn't mean if one time you're, you're out, you're always forever out. And if you're in, you're always forever in. I'm saying in each moment, you're either in or you're out. You're either connected or you're disconnected. There's no such thing as in between. Okay. So that is a, um, there, there, there is no middle ground. Okay. So to commit a transgression, is basically, remember how we ended last chapter, which was a little intense, is to drag Hashem down into your filth, right? That's how we ended last chapter. Um, and that's hard to hear. We're not going to talk about it ever again. Don't worry. <laughs> but that when you are transgressing, no matter what kind of sin, right? There's this thing where we think there's a hierarchy of sin. That's not true right? We talked, we did, we talked about how, why certain sins have different punishments because it's, 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 um, counteracting what happened in the world due to your sin, right? But it has nothing to do with the hierarchy of sin. Each and every sin, even the rabbinic prohibitions are going to separate you from God equally. Okay. So the awareness, this awareness, this awareness, there is a reason why we, we had to like shock ourselves a little when we say that when we um, sin, we're dragging Hashem, Hashem down is because this awareness is what's going to enable you to turn away from evil. It's got to be extreme. Okay. So, because um, we are physical beings that love pleasure and enjoyment. So what is going to stop us from wanting to do differently? It's this awareness that when we know that we're dragging Hashem through filth, that will enable us to turn away from evil, avoid transgression, 
even the minor rabbinical ones that we tell ourselves are minor, right? Okay, any questions so far? Okay, um, one of the, okay, so now we're gonna, we, we need to get smarter than our delusional spirit, okay? We need to outsmart the delusional spirit because that is what gets us every time, okay? So what, what we're doing when we learn Tanya is we get the inside scoop, which gives us so much more tools to move through life, okay? So one of the, techniques of the delusional spirit is to convince you that a transgression is tolerable, okay? And it only separates you from God momentarily. Only while you're sinning are you separate from God, okay? And even, by the way, that, that, also, that also applies when we're serving idols right? It o- you only are separate from Hashem as long as you're doing that act, right? You can you worship idols on that same premise, but, um, but, our, but our soul doesn't allow us to do that. So that, it, but it, it applies to all sins. So our delusional spirit is saying, um, don't worry, right? You can sin because you will only be separated from Hashem momentarily, and then you can repent, right? Then you can repent and then you'll be connected to Hashem after, right? What's the problem with that? You cannot sin on the premise that you're gonna repent, right? A person cannot say, I'm gonna sin because after I sin, I will repent right? It doesn't work proactively, right? You only can do that if you're sinning because you're caught up in the moment and you're not thinking. And then afterwards you regret your action. You can't sin proactively and say, I'm going to sin, but no biggie because I will repent after, right? That doesn't work. So that is what the delusional spirit though is trying to convince you of, that it's okay you can do this because it's temporary and then you can fix it after, right? Okay. No, that's, that's like playing a game. You right. can't do that. That's, you can't do that. Yeah. Right. But sometimes you'd be surprised. Like, you know, come on, we do it all the time. You know the phrase, it's, it's easier to ask for forgiveness and ask for permission. Right? It's the same thing right? It's easier to do the thing that you know somebody's not going to appreciate and say sorry after then, and, but, but then get permission. Like we do it with our, I mean, as kids, we did it with our parents all the time, yeah. right? But so we, this is, we're cheating though. We're cheating. That's cheating. It's cheating. So doing it with your parents is cheating and doing it with God is cheating, right? It's a sin to think about that. <laughs> <laughs> But this is what our this is what our delusional spirit does, right? It convinces us that this makes sense. The crazy thing is, is that you actually can repent that way, but you will have no godly intervention. God will not meet, God will not provide you the opportunity to repent that way. So if you figure out a way to repent, 
in that way by thinking like by doing a sin with in mind to repent if you can figure out a way to repent without any godly intervention go ahead try it it's very difficult not saying it never was done and never can be done but it's very very difficult because part of the the repentance process is god giving you the time the ace rut zone the perfect time the the awakening to do so and without that it's very hard to do okay so um my question you were going to answer yes um what happens if you don't know that you're sinning there's there's no you there's no obligation for you to repent on something that you don't know the thing is is when you do know right and when you do find out and there's so many people in this world who are called balchuva right they become closer to Torah, they learn new ways, then they do repent for their previous sins. But what if you don't know that you are sinning? For example, um, you want to have a coffee in the morning before you do your blessings. You don't know if that's a sin or not. There's no way of finding out. Why would that be a sin? Uh, because you don't do anything before your prayers, your morning blessings. Oh, so you're saying you're drinking coffee before praying. So you know it's, you know you shouldn't do it. No, I don't know. I'm just thinking, what if I'm, what I'm ahead of the game. I'm thinking, what if this is a sin? Because I, everything I do, I, I pretty much ask myself, is this a sin or not? Right. I don't know. Well, that's your I'm always to thinking. find out. Right. It's your obligation to find out. Right. Whether, and and when you're, when you're trying to find out and, and in so many different ways and you can't find the answer, it's just really difficult. That's just an example I gave right. about the so you do the be- that little the other Tanya, little thing. The Tanya only requires of you the best that you can, right? So you do the best you can. And as you have more knowledge and as you know more things, that's how you incorporate it into your life. There's no way to do things perfectly if you don't know how to do them. Your, your, your purpose in life is to figure out how to live the best way possible, the most connected to God you can be. You're doing that, you're on the right. You can't expect perfection right away. You can't expect perfection when you, like you say, you don't know, right? So you have to figure out how to to get the knowledge and do the best you can. That's all you can do. All you guess, do. Yeah, I'm a perfectionist. And that's actually, that's what's helping me become closer to God. Right. But it also is going to trap you. Yeah, you it is. Stuck, it's going to trap you. So you have to have that balance of, because per- perfectionism is, is not our, you know what I'm saying? It's not an attainable goal, right? Remember, we're, Bainani, we're working towards being a Bainani, not a Tzaddik right? We have to remember that. And also we have to remember that it's about the journey, not the end results necessarily. So you have to remember what journey am I on? Not necessarily always focus on the end results. Okay. So we're all going to sin one way or another throughout our lifetime. Yes. We are going to sin because we're yes. not tzaddik. Unless you're a tzaddik, you are going to sin. Okay. Okay. So well, before you go on, yes, Sometimes um, you know it's a sin, but there is something that is a more important commandment. Like during the Holocaust, they fed them trace, you know, mm-hmm. obviously on purpose. Mm-hmm. And but 
it was superseded by Pekuach Nefesh. So exactly. Yeah. Yes. And that's a very important point. We mentioned that. Remember, we said, how come some sins require us to give our life and some, and most of them don't, right? Because our purpose, remember, our purpose is to live for God, right? So if we are, if the transgression was leaving our faith and serving idols, then we're not living for God. So it's, so we have to give our life, but almost any other sin, we have to want to live for God. So if it's sin or die, we want to be able to live. So we eat the non-kosher food under duress so we can live and hopefully one day continue to serve Hashem, right? So that, oh wait, that definitely is an important piece to keep in mind. Um, living in America, we don't usually experience that um, in on that kind of degree, but it, it does happen, right? Like, well, a very, very famous example, right? Like going to the hospital on Shabbos, right? If somebody's sick, and you need to get to the hospital on Shabbos, you drive to the hospital because that trumps Shabbos. Saving a life trumps Shabbos, right? So that's a, a good example that does happen very often, right? Okay, so, um, so if you could, in theory, worship idols, then repent, we are still willing to the, the, our soul is still willing to sanctify Hashem's name rather than bow down to that idol. Even, even if that were an option, even if the delusional spirit would convince us that, 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 that that's an option, we would still rather give our life than risk that separation from Hashem to that degree. Okay. And why? Why is it that this happens? It's because the divine light is it's so enmeshed within our soul, right? Now going back a couple classes, how is that divine light revealed in our soul? Through Chachma. Remember, we talked a lot about Chachma, the window to the soul, the window to Hashem, right? And this is the next, my next favorite part of the class, because this is like, I always like to to point out and tell you how Tanya is the original source of character development, therapeutic tools, like it's all here. It's all here. I'm gonna tell you in one paragraph, something that you can spend weeks in a therapist's office figuring out straight from the Tanya, okay? That to me is like beyond cool. Now, Chachma trans transcends time. Chachma transcends time. What does that mean? Okay, and if you have any questions about this, let's save it to the end because we have to get through it, okay? What does that mean? You are awakened to a deeper reality than what is usually perceived by our senses and our mind, okay? Every, bear with me and we're, I think you'll, we'll get there. Everything in this world has a form, okay? whether it's a flower or an animate, a table, a person, everything in this world has a form and all forms are change, right? They eventually disintegrate. Everything in this world is designed to go through that aging process. They're, they're here and then they're not. Living forms born and then die, 
okay? Because this is time is an instrument we use when looking at the world of form, right? Because that's how we measure change. In order to see like where we are, we need time to measure that change of form, right? Are you young? Are you old? You know, are you vibrant? Are you healthy? Are you sick and weak, right? Like time is what we see, what lens we use to see the world through, right? Okay. To transcend time means to look at the universe using a different mode than form. Form is what tells us we need time because things are our form. That is what influences our, our decision to look at the world through time because of form. But if we use a different lens to look at the world, like if we don't use form as the way we look at the world, then that changes, okay? So when you focus your attention on the fact that an object is an object. It's just an object, regardless of what form it takes, right? You come closer to perceiving its divine essence. So if we were to look at all things as just a thing, right? Just an object, right? And regardless of what it looks like, right? And then you can apply this like how we preach about people, right? And race and like, it doesn't matter what your form is, right? It doesn't matter what you look like. Are you fat? Are you skinny? Are you black? Are you white? It doesn't matter why, because we're all just objects that, that emote godliness. You're with me, okay? So when we can look at the world through that lens that we're all just objects that, that are vehicles in which God expresses itself in this world, doesn't matter what the object is, right? That transcends time because time is irrelevant. Time is irrelevant. If we look at the world through that lens, time is irrelevant. Okay. Now, what happens is is that um, okay. Just so I just to make sure that I've, I'm clear, we learned that everything at its core is Hashem, right? Which means everything is expressing the all-encompassing presence of Hashem. So that's what we're doing when we look at everything as just an object that's expressing Hashem, okay? Now, what happens is, is time obscures that perspective because it encourages us to look at form and change. Time is what convinces us that we need to look at, oh, how old are you? What do you look like? You're changing, you're, you're aging, you're not as vibrant. Like, that's what it obscures the truth, okay? But if you can look deeper, you will start to look at the world with a different set of concerns. What are those concerns gonna look like? They're going to see, they're going to sound like this. Right now, am I connected to Hashem? 
If you let go of the concern of time and form and change, your concerns will be, am I connected to Hashem? Am I conscious of him? Can I sense his presence in everything? Okay. This is the level at which Chachma operates at. And we have this in our soul. We just have to tap into it. Okay. So for Chachma, the idea that you might choose to disconnect from Hashem now and fix it later with tshuva makes no sense at all. Because for Chachma, there's no past or present. There's only now. Are you connected to Hashem right now? That's the only question that matters. What, what happened before and what happened after is irrelevant. So of course, this, this um, delusional spirit that's trying to tell you, don't worry, sin now because you can repent later. Chachma's like, what are you talking about? That makes no sense. We transcend time. The problem is, is are we connected right now? Okay. So for Chachma, there is only one, um, there's only one way to look at it. It's now, the present. Okay. Um, time and change are superficial. So how many, I mean, I don't know, go to therapy, don't go to therapy. If you do go to therapy, I can honestly a thousand percent tell you that your therapist at one point has told you what, what, don't focus on the past. Don't focus on the future. What's happening right now. And here we are saying that Chachma transcends time. Chachma doesn't care if you're going to repent later or, or what happens before or after what is happening right now. So using tshuva, sorry, sorry, sorry. I don't know why I said tshuva. Using chachma. No, but, but, but guess what? We have to live in this world, okay? We, Datanya is not, we're not creating angels, right? This is not our goal. We do have to live in, in this world. So how does that work? So using chachma doesn't mean that you forget about the world of form, right? And drift into like some detached state where you live in your own bubble that, and you can't, uh, interact with the world, right? That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that if you remain anchored to your Chachma, okay, if you remain connected and anchored to your Chachma, you can still function in this changing world. You're just not going to be controlled by it, right? So what does that look like? Rather than constantly living in the shadow of your past experiences, or anxious about what the future holds. If you use your chachma, you will live in the here and now, and that will not matter. Okay. So anyone who suffers from anxiety, I mean, literally tools, right? So if you can feel I am with Hashem now, right? If you're going through a hard time, you can tell yourself I am with Hashem now, right? And I sense Hashem within all things. Then your personal history and your future uncertainties will really start to concern you way less to the point where they will cease to concern you. And I don't know, and like in my personal journey in my therapeutic journey that I'm doing with a secular therapist, literally, this is what I'm doing. 
right? This is when we try to detach from the things that we cannot control. We cannot control our past and we cannot control our future. The only thing that we have in our control is the now. So what is the now for you? Are you connected to Hashem? Do you feel Hashem in everything? Those are the concerns that we start to concern ourselves with. Not about what you look like, what's going to be, how old are you? You know, all those things are superficial. They don't mean anything because Chachma transcends time. Okay, so as you deal with your day-to-day ordeals, right, of living in time, and we have them, every minute of every day, we have an ordeal, right? Attachment to your Chachma is going to help you control your perception of time so that it doesn't overwhelm, overwhelm you. So you can tell yourself in the long run, what is in my control? What can I be doing right now? Okay. So, um, any questions? Literally you take one thing from this class. This is what you take from it. Okay. This is what you take from this class. This is this is a gold mine. Okay. We can spend days and hours and weeks and months thinking about just this one thing. Okay. Um, so how do we use this method to observe the positive commandments, right? Cause we say, remember, we have to, at the same time, we are not transgressing, but also we want to be motivated. We don't just want to live in the negative in like, I'm not transgressing. That's the only thing that I'm focused on. We also want to be motivated to do the positive, right? To serve God, to actively, proactively serve God, not just refrain from not serving him. Okay. So, um, so as we learned in chapter 15, genuine worship of Hashem requires effort. Okay. The, the other thing that the, um, the spirit of folly convinces us to be is lazy. Okay. And we have to realize that serving Hashem takes effort. Remember in chapter 15, we were talking about the Bainani, one who serves and one who doesn't serve. What do you mean? They're both serving God. If a Bainani, if it comes naturally to a Bainani, he's not working hard. He's not serving because serving equals worship equals. What did I say? Service equals hard. <laughs> Whatever. I don't remember what I exactly said in chapter 15, but it basically you're not serving Hashem if you're not working hard. You're so cute. <laughs> you are. So, now what happens is, is that we have to recognize that serving Hashem requires effort. If you're enthusiastic about your worship, then you know that it's important to challenge yourself and not stay in your comfort zone, right? Serving Hashem will feel uncomfortable, but uncomfortable in a good way. You know what they say, growing pains. Remember we, remember we um, used that analogy of the gym, right? No pain, no gain. If you're not feeling it, you're not gaining anything, right? If you stay in your comfort zone and you just lift the weights that you're used to and you do everything that you're used to, you're not gaining anything. So it's the same thing with your service of Hashem. If you're not pushing yourself a little bit, if you're not a little bit out of your comfort zone, then you're not serving, okay? 
Now you have to remember the bounds. We're not pushing ourselves to the point where we're paralyzed, right? Cause that's counterproductive. We're pushing ourselves enough to know that we're putting effort into our service. Okay. So, um, and worship is what connects us with Hashem. Okay. So as we learned, so here I am, I, I brought in, we're bringing all these different chapters. Cause remember, this is a wrap up. We learned in chapter 23 that, that a mitzvah represents the non-dual reality of Hashem embodied in an act, right? How do we connect with this non-dual reality of Hashem by doing a mitzvah? Why? Because a mitzvah is God's will in an act, right? What are we doing when we're doing a mitzvah? We are fulfilling God's will, God's innermost desire. So when we do a mitzvah, we are connecting with God's will right? It's embodying the non-dual reality of the universe in an act, okay? So, and it, remember, we, we talked about how that preceded symptom, that preceded the diminishment of Hashem. When we do a mitzvah and we learn Torah, we bypass the diminishment of Hashem. We go straight to the source, okay? So when you do a mitzvah, your divine soul, your animal soul, and all their garments, we talked about this, are all merged in total union with the divine light of Hashem, with Ein Sof. So all those things, your animal soul, your divine soul, your uh, garments, your faculties in with which you did the mitzvah are all emerged in the divine light of Hashem, okay? The last, oh, we're almost done. The last thing that we're gonna touch upon on this in this chapter is if a mitzvah merges you with your with Ein Sof, right? With the divine light, which is beyond this finite world, does the connection transcend time? Does your connection with God when you do a mitzvah transcend time? It's a good question, right? Um, and the answer is in good Tanya fashion, yes and no. Okay. In the upper worlds, the connection will be is tra transcends time. It's eternal, but not in the lower worlds. Okay. So I didn't understand the question. Okay. So if does it transcend time? Right. I so don't when understand. you do a mitzvah, right? And you're connecting and you're merging with Hashem. Yes. Does that connection last forever or only while you're doing the mitzvah? Oh. Okay. So in the upper worlds, it lasts forever in the spiritual realms and worlds. It lasts forever, which is amazing in this physical lower world. It doesn't, it only lasts as long as you are connected to God. As long as you're actively connecting to Hashem, that's, that's how long it lasts. And the Tanya says very, something very interesting, right? It's if you, okay, you're doing a mitzvah, right? You're connected to Hashem. The only way your connection stops is if you then do something that's opposite of connecting to Hashem. But if you're doing a mitzvah, then you go to work to provide for your family and you cook dinner for your family and you're taking care of your kids. That is still considered mitzvah, like serving Hashem because you're doing things in, in this world to facilitate Hashem's presence in this world. So you got to make money to support your family, to, to continue to connect to Hashem. So those things do not cause a disconnection. It's only when you go from doing a mitzvah to something opposite of uh, a transgression that will stop that connection. 
Okay. So um, it will stop the connection in heaven. No, just down here. Oh, just down here. Just down here. So, but when you do remember, so back to the chuva, when you do chuva, when you repent, that reestablishes that connection as well, which is why FYI, the sages instituted like a, there is a concept of like doing chuva three times a day, right? There's certain times in prayer, Shema at night, because that way you're reconnecting your severed connection that you probably have done during your day. Okay. So, um, how we're going to end, this is how we're going to end. And we will have time for a quick meditation. We will not go over time. The willingness, this is, this is where we're, this is where we're culminating. The willingness of martyrdom needs to be constantly in your head and in your heart day and night. It shouldn't leave your consciousness because this is how you'll be able to stand up to your impulse to evil at all times, keyword, and in any moment. What is the key? You have to remember constantly that you're willing to die for Hashem so you'll be willing to live for him. Okay, so if we were to summarize this chapter in one sentence is that your brain and your heart needs to always keep in mind that we're willing to die for Hashem so we will be motivated to live for him. So we will be motivated to, to stand up to the evil in this world and inside of us. Okay? That's how we're ending. So take a deep breath. We're going to close our eyes and we are going to be very, very, very proud of ourselves for sticking through these very intense eight chapters. And we're going to focus on our breath for a minute. Take a deep breath in, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Focus on the natural rhythm of your breath, okay? Don't try to make it something that it's not. If it feels faster, go with it slower, go with it deep, shallow, just go with it for a second. Just sit within your body, focus on your breath. I want you to visualize a beautiful, bright, shining light that is shining into your body and your soul, okay? And it's melting away um, any tension or any struggle that you might be feeling inside of you. This beautiful light is just shining through your body. And as it's shining through your body, you feel your body relax and you feel wherever you're holding that tension, it's letting go. Just visualize it. Even if it's not really happening, just visualize it happening.
And now bring your attention to these two. I'm going to leave you with two thoughts that I think are the most important for this class. Number one, Chachma transcends time. If we can focus on the now, not our past, not our future, we let go of so much anxiety and stress. And then our question becomes, am I connected to God right now? Sit with that for a minute. The next thought, which we said a few times today, the thought of martyrdom needs to be in your head constantly. What does that mean? If you're willing to die for Hashem, you must be willing to live for him. And just that thought alone will help you stand up to any evil that you have coming at you, whether it's from in yourself or from this world. We have to be willing to live for Hashem. I'm going to leave you with that. Bring your attention back to your breath, in through your nose, out through your mouth. Start to kind of feel your body, you know, start to recognize and hear sounds and sense. And when you're ready, gently open your eyes. Okay, you guys are rock stars. You did it. The class will be going up either sometime later today or by tomorrow morning, okay? So you can use it, review it. People who weren't on it can listen to it and uh, have a wonderful, awesome week. And God willing, barring any of my crazy life coming into this, we will be here next week, okay? Thank you guys so, so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.